Well, good morning. The Apostle John writes that when Jesus came, he manifested his glory, meaning that his true identity was made known. His identity is the light of the world, as God with us, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And during this season of Epiphany, which we are in, we as a church, along with churches all over the world, right now are celebrating that Christ is made known among us, that Christ is revealed to us and manifest in and around us. And so for a few weeks now, we've been reading together from places in the Gospels where Jesus' glory is made known. And today we're going to look at a time when Jesus reveals himself in calling his first disciples to him from the Gospel of John. So I'm going to read from John chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. You can follow along as I read or just listen, but it's in the order of worship if you'd like to see it. The next day again, John was standing with his two disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon, and he said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. He used to be called Caiaphas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him who Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come. And see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus said to him, Answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you'll see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. This is God's word and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your Son. We thank you for your Spirit. We thank you that your Spirit can point us to your Son. I pray that will happen for us in this room today. However we're feeling right now, uh, whatever state we're in right now, whatever... um, things we're going through in our lives, Lord, I pray that you would meet us by your spirit, by the gospel, and by your son, Jesus. In your name, amen. Well, there are certain scenes in a movie that if I come across them, even if I've seen the movie over and over again, I can't help but re-watch them. Certain scenes like the baptism scene in Godfather 1, or the ending poker scene in Rounders, or the state championship game in the movie Hoosiers. And of course, I'm sure you all would agree with me that any of the training sequences in the Rocky movies, especially Rocky IV, are worthy of being rewatched. And I'm okay admitting that to you all. These, to my mind, are legitimate scenes to rewatch. But there's another movie I'm not so sure is legit that's on my list. And it has a scene that when it's on, I have to rewatch it. 
It's from a Disney movie. Not only that, it's from a remake starring Lindsay Lohan. The movie is Parent Trap, and if you're not familiar with the movie, it's about these two twin girls played by Lindsay Lohan who do not know that they are twins. One is named Annie, and one is named Hallie. And at the beginning of the movie, we see that Hallie does not live uh, with her mom, but lives with her dad and Annie with her mom. They're separated since uh, the divorce, and so Annie lives with her mom in England, and Hallie lives with her dad in California. But they go to this summer camp together, and they find out that the other person exists, and they have this great idea where they're going to switch so that Hallie can go and meet her mom for the first time in England, and Annie can go meet her dad in California. Now, here's a scene that gets me every time. Annie is pretending to be Hallie, is confronted by a nanny of the house, of Hallie's nanny. And the nanny tells Hallie, who is actually Annie, how different she seems since camp. She says, you know, the dog is afraid of you. She says, you're very clean now. You weren't clean before camp. She says, you use phrases like, you gave me a fright. And then the nanny says, I don't, if I knew any better, it's almost like you were, and then she stops and says, forget it. And Annie, pretending to be Hallie, says, almost like who, if I was who? And the nanny says, nobody, nobody, forget I even mentioned it. And then Annie says, as Hallie, almost as if I were Annie? And the nanny says, you know about Annie? And Annie says, I am Annie. This scene gets me. She reveals herself to this woman who knew about the twins, and tears start flowing. Tears by the actors and tears by me when I'm watching this scene. The revelation of Annie in that scene to me is beautiful and moving. And I thought about this scene this week as I was thinking about this passage I just read. Jesus is beginning to make his true identity known in this passage this morning. These new followers of Jesus slowly begin to see who Jesus really is. As a rabbi, a teacher to follow. As a Messiah that they're longing for. As a son of God and the king of Israel. And John, writing this account decades after the death and resurrection of Jesus, wants his readers, including you and me this morning, to see the epiphany, to see the manifestation of Jesus as he begins his ministry on this earth. The revelation of who Jesus truly is in our passage today, and who Jesus truly is in this first chapter of John, let alone the whole book of John, is beautiful and moving for sure. John is very clear why he wrote this gospel, and it is good for us to spend time in this beautiful book. Near the end of this gospel, John says these words of why he wrote what he wrote. That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John wrote this gospel to point people to the beauty and life that is offered by Jesus, to call us to follow Jesus in belief. And I just want to encourage you, if you haven't read the gospel ever, or maybe you haven't read it in a while, I would encourage you to do so this month. It would be good for you to read it. And if you need someone to read it with you, I would love to read it with you. I love reading the gospel of John with people. It is a beautiful, good book for us all. John points us to Jesus. John reveals all that Jesus is and all that Jesus does. And the gospel helps us know how we should follow Jesus with our lives. We see this truth here in our passage this morning. John the Baptist is telling his disciples once again that Jesus was the Lamb of God. We know he's been saying this over and over again to the people around him. And finally, the witness of John directs his disciples to gaze at Jesus. And so these two disciples, 
hearing this truth from John, start following Jesus. They leave John behind and begin walking with Jesus. Now at this point, they don't fully understand what it means to follow Jesus. So Jesus initiates the process with these new disciples by asking them a question. Jesus turned and saw them following them and said to them, what are you seeking? This is the start of a pattern that we can see about Jesus in the Gospels. Often Jesus directs a question to those that are wanting to follow him to find out what's on their minds or perhaps to force the issue into your minds. What are you seeking? What do you want? What are you really after? Jesus asked these two men who are following him to articulate in their minds, but as well, I believe he's talking to us today as John writes this gospel for us to reflect upon the deeper meaning behind the question in our lives. What are we today looking for when it comes to Jesus in our lives? What do we want Jesus to do for us right now? What are we seeking? How would you answer those questions today? Because if we're honest, what are we thinking and expecting of Jesus right now? What do we want from him in our lives? We might know the Sunday morning church answer. (laughs) I might know the preacher's answer. But in our day-to-day lives, in our time alone, with our thoughts, in our struggles, and in our doubts, what do we want Jesus to do for us right now? What are we seeking? These are actually harder questions than we might think. And the reality is we often can't really know what we seek until we've actually found it. And so Jesus asks these disciples what they are seeking, and what do they say? Rabbi, where are you staying? Now, in one sense, it seems kind of a strange way to answer Jesus' question. I mean, they began following this man because John called him the Lamb of God. They see him as a rabbi and a teacher, but what they want to know is, Rabbi, where are you staying? Jesus, what is your address? Were they caught off guard by this question? I think the thing here is they're looking to follow Jesus, to learn from him, to stay with him, and to remain and abide with him. That's what this word staying means. Staying means to abide or to remain somewhere. And to abide and remain in Jesus is a huge topic in the Gospel of John. In fact, he spends a few chapters later on in his book talking about abiding in Jesus and remaining in him like a branch on a vine in order to produce fruit. The goal of human seeking should be about being in the place where Jesus abides. And we have to ask ourselves, do we believe this and do we truly want to be in the place where Jesus remains? Are we seeking after things we think we need or what Jesus promises to offer us? And listen, whether you are someone here this morning who are still trying to figure out who Jesus is or you're someone who doesn't remember a time when you didn't believe in Jesus, we all seek after other things in Jesus to try to meet our needs and our longings. Every single one of us in this room seek after things to abide in and to remain in other than Jesus all the time. And some of these things are good things. Our job, our relationships, religious disciplines, these are things that become the thing we seek after for satisfaction and life and fulfillment. And some of the not-so-good things as well we seek after, thinking it will meet the needs we're longing for. And so honestly, the words of Jesus to these two disciples here in this passage are words to us today in whatever state of faith you are in right now. When we think about the question, what are we seeking or what should we be abiding in, we have an answer from Jesus. 
Jesus says to these two disciples, and he says to you and me today, come and you will see. Come and ascertain with your own eyes what you want to know about Jesus. The knowledge of true abiding and remaining in Jesus can never come simply as a matter of theory or intellectual knowledge. There is a personal invitation for us to come and see what Jesus offers us. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among the people, including these two disciples. Jesus tells these two to come, and you will see. And John records that they not only saw where Jesus was staying, but they stayed with him the whole day. He hung out with these two seeking disciples all day long. And perhaps we can feel a little jealous that we don't get to do this, to just go and hang out with Jesus for the day. We talked about this a bit in the small group I lead on Wednesday nights about this passage, about how great it would be to spend some time with Jesus. I mean, wouldn't it be better if he was practically, physically here right now? Well, not according to Jesus himself. Later in this very Gospel of John, Jesus tells a truth that is for us. In the chapter 16 of John, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it is your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The helper is the Holy Spirit, and it is present. The Holy Spirit is present right now to let us come and see Jesus, to come and see all that Jesus is, and to be able to be in relationship with him. Jesus meets us by his spirit through the word of God that is alive and points us to Jesus and all that he is. By the spirit, Jesus meets us through this meal that we're going to take in a little bit, nourishing us and strengthening us in our faith. Jesus is present in our worship time, in our times together in community. And he meets us through brothers and sisters who offer us truths and words and promises of God. And listen, we get the privilege of being folks that can bring others to see and know and come to Jesus and see who he is. I mean, I love that right away Andrew runs and finds his brother Simon to tell him he has found the Messiah. Andrew becomes one of the first in a long line of successors who testify about Jesus to others. And what I love is that Andrew doesn't try to convince his brother what is true. He just brings his brother to Jesus. And it was being with Jesus that convinced Andrew that he was the Messiah, so he assumed that would be the same for his brother Simon Peter. And I love this pattern as well with the other person in our account that is told by Jesus who he was to follow after him. In verse 44, we read that Philip was told by Jesus to follow me. Jesus found Philip, and the very next thing Philip does is he goes and finds Nathanael. Philip comes to this man, Nathaniel, and tells him the one that Moses and the prophets wrote about, the coming Messiah that we've been longing for, he is here. It is Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel responds, can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good come from this small, insignificant village in Galilee? Can the Messiah really come from there? Now maybe Nathaniel's being condescending or judgmental about a place he did not like. Or maybe Nathaniel knew the scriptures and he knew that no prophecy pointed to the fact that the Messiah was going to come from Nazareth. He's supposed to come from Bethlehem. But here's the thing. Philip doesn't try to defend Nazareth. He doesn't try to answer Nathaniel's questions. He does what Jesus did with the first two disciples. He tells Nathaniel, come and see. I love that people who have questions or don't understand everything are invited to come and see Jesus before their questions are answered. 
And I love the folks who tell people about Jesus. We don't need to have all the answers to the questions. We get to just point them to God's son, Jesus. We do not have to get all our stuff in order and all our questions answered and all our doubts removed to come to Jesus. Nor do we have to have all our facts in line and our defense for the faith ready and our maturity and faith strong in order to tell people to come to Jesus. God uses broken and messy people to bring folks to his son. God uses his church to help people come and see Jesus. Yes, the church is full of bad history and bad examples and bad leaders and bad followers. There is a bunch of mess in the body of Christ. And there has been great damage done by people who claim to be speaking in the name of Jesus throughout history. Like me, I'm sure some of you have people in your life that now want nothing to do with church, nothing to do with religion, maybe nothing to do with Jesus. That can't stop us from being together as a community that shows people who Jesus is. A community that comes together not to try to answer all the questions, that is even willing to be uncomfortable with some of the questions that we have but still being able to say to one another, let us come and see Jesus. This is what I hope Covenant continues to be as a church. I hope we're continually known as a place where people can see Jesus. I hope we have small groups here at this church where we can foster community with women and men of all types of stages of faith and all types of questions. And I hope if you are someone who has questions about Jesus, you will join us in your journey of faith. And I hope if you are someone that has been following Jesus for a long time, you will help people process who Jesus is. You will come alongside them with their questions and with their doubts and with their struggles. And the great thing is that throughout the Bible, including our passage today, God does not call people who have it all together. God doesn't just call the people who look worthy of calling or who have proven they're deserving of being called. I mean, think about what Jesus does with Simon here in our passage. After Andrew brought Simon to Jesus, before Simon has done anything, before he became a disciple of Jesus, before he proved himself to be a foundational leader of the church, which eventually he does, Jesus sees him and assigns him a new name as a declaration of what Peter will become. Jesus names Simon Peter as a declaration of what Jesus will make of him. He sees him and gives him a new vocation. You're going to be called the rock, the rock upon which the church will be built upon. Peter was not worthy of this calling. I love Peter so much. He is a hot mess often. Yet Jesus keeps loving him, challenging him, and using him for his kingdom work. See, Jesus knew all the failures that would happen with Simon as he named him Peter. He knew that Peter's brashness would get him into trouble at times. He knew Peter's cowardice would cause him to deny Jesus three times. He even knew at one point that he would have to call Peter Satan. And yet he still calls him and he renames him. Jesus knows people thoroughly, including all of us in this room today. He not only sees into all of us, but he calls us to himself and he makes us what he calls us to be. He knows each one of us intimately. We see this illustrated in this interaction with Nathaniel. After Philip called Nathanael to come and see Jesus, Jesus' first words to Nathanael are words of truth that kind of messes him up. Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Like Jesus knew Simon intimately and changed his name to Peter, Jesus knew Nathanael intimately. He knew Nathanael was an honest man. 
He knew he was one that does not lead with wrong motives or deception. Nathaniel asks, how do you know me? And Jesus shows his ability to see beyond anything we could ever see and says, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Jesus knew Peter. Jesus knew Nathaniel. And Jesus knows each one of us in this room. In fact, in the next chapter of this book of John, John says this about Jesus. He needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knows what is in man. Jesus truly knows us as women and men here. He knows those places that we try to hide from others. He knows those places that we continually do wrong and fail at. He knows us. He sees us. He loves us. And the fact that Jesus sees and knows everything about us can either cause us to be afraid or uncomfortable, or it could cause us to worship and acknowledge Jesus for who he is. That's what Nathaniel does here. He goes from great doubts about this Jesus of Nazareth to calling him the Son of God and the King of Israel. An amazing claim of honor and praise. And we get the privilege of doing that as well. We, as we gather and worship, get to call upon and worship the Son of God and the King of Israel. Because listen, Jesus sees us and knows us and loves us and wants us. Jesus knows us and sees us and wants to be with us. He promises to keep revealing himself to us. That's what the greater things promised to Nathaniel and to us at the end of our passage is all about. Our passage ends with Jesus saying these words, you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus isn't just talking to Nathaniel here. He's not just talking to the disciples here. He's talking to you and me here as well. This is a plural. You all will see this. And what he's using is an image that was found in the book of Genesis that Mark read for us. An Old Testament lesson about the interaction between God and Jacob and a ladder, angels descending and ascending. And as well, I believe Jesus is using an imagery from the book of Revelation that was read for us in the New Testament lesson about the future promise of heaven open up and Jesus returning with his kingdom in flow. The main point that we need to take from this as I end our time together is Jesus is clearly saying here that he is God and he is present with his people. The greater things about Jesus isn't just that he knows us, but that he is with us. More than the ladder that allowed Jacob to see the angels and heavens open up, Jesus is the way and, and the ability for us to encounter God, to know God, and to be with God. That is the hope of this season, that God reveals himself in glory. He keeps doing that. And it is the longing we have that he will come again when heaven is open. And he will ride in and make the heavens and the earth come alive and be new and restored to what it's meant to be. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your son, and we thank you for the chance we can to follow him. I pray that you would allow us to be strengthened by your word and strengthened by this meal and strengthened by our worship and strengthened by our time together to help us see you and see who we are as daughters and sons of the king. In your name, amen.